Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Are you ready? It's time for your weekly dose of Wayne's Comics. Welcome to episode 239 of the Wayne's Comics podcast. Thanks so much for listening. This week is another double header as I talk with Bowden Neswischeny and Rob Torres about Souls Eternal, a great book that's coming out from Hashtag Comics. We talk about the anime influences on the book, which is the first of a series, and how you can get this very interesting comic. Please note that this interview was recorded over the telephone, so the sound isn't quite as good as we normally like it to be. But if you're having trouble hearing some of the words that are being said, please be sure to turn up the volume. Then everything wraps up with the return of Bob Sally, the creator of Salvagers, who has the fifth issue in his series coming out, and a Kickstarter that will be happening soon, and he gives us details on all those good things. We discuss the basics of Salvagers, and how you can get these books, as well as a new project that he has on the horizon. As always, there's a lot to get to, so let's get to the show. Great to welcome back to the podcast, Bowden Neswis Chenny and Rob Torres, creators of a new book called Souls Eternal. How are you guys doing tonight? How are you doing, Bowden? I'm great, Wayne. Thank you so much for having me back on the show. And you, Rob, how are you? Pretty good, pretty good. Thanks for having me. Good, good. Let's talk about your book, Souls Eternal, which clearly indicates on the upper right-hand corner that it's manga. Bowden, you and Rob are both co-creators of the book. How did this book come to be? Rob, do you mind if I take this one? No, go ahead. Our publisher, Hashtag Comics, had a very clear idea, I think, the kind of book that they wanted. Mm-hmm. They wanted something that appealed to people that were fans of like anime and manga, and they had approached Rob mm-hmm. about doing a book, and then Rob had approached me asking me if I wanted to write it, and then Rob and I came up with the pitch that would eventually become our book, Souls Eternal. Mm-hmm. Great. Now, it's from Hashtag Comics, because my understanding, you guys just do it. Is Resistance Entertainment still going on? How does this work as far as that goes? Oh, yeah. Hashtag is a totally separate entity. Mm-hmm. Rob, you're doing work on their book, Tailwands, right? Yes, I am. Right. And they had hired the both of us to come in and create and make this series. 
Oh, good. You know, it's funny. My uh, roommate Rick got the stuff about Tail Wands when he was at Tampa for a free comic book day. So that's on my list of things to talk about. So I might talk with you again sometime soon again, Rob. Sounds good. Uh, family life. That's the thing that's good about that. Now, um, <laughs> so Rob, they approached you initially about this. How were you acquainted with Hashtag Comics? Well, I was brought into it by my friend Martin Dunn. Uh, he was telling me that they needed a colorist for Tail Wands, and then that became more. Mm-hmm. Eventually, the owner, Drew Crowder, uh, approached me with the fact that they wanted to do something with another property that he had called, actually it was called Cosplay Club at the time. And the previous iteration of that book wasn't doing so good. So the idea was uh, being sidelined by the owner, and he asked me to find a writer and try to see what we could do with the book. And then I approached Bodan. I think it was over a Tampa Bay. Yeah, the first conversation, like we were having drinks in the lobby of the Marriott right across the street from the convention center. Yeah. And then you were like, listen, there's this thing, and I want to talk to you about it. And I was like, I don't care what it is. I'm in. It could have nothing to do with comics. I'm down. But thankfully, it had something to do with comics. Mm. Thankfully. Yeah. <laughs> Now, one of the things I got to ask, of course, is that this—it's not the size of a normal comic; it's a smaller size. What did that have to do with? I mean, why was that chosen to do it in a smaller size like that? Rob, you might be a little more qualified to answer that than I am. That was all editorial, meaning the owner of the company, Drew, was the one who came up with that size. I think it had something to do with the fact that he was trying to also see if uh, Follett, the book company that sells books to schools for their book fairs and other venues. That size was a little more standard with them, I think it was. So all the books are in that format. I think I'm not mistaken on that. So even the other books that the company does, like A Time to Die, uh, Carpen Octum, Tailwands, and Cloud Riders all come in that format. You're right, you're right. I've got Tailwands right here, and I put it up, and you're right, they're the same size. So interesting. Okay, so that's kind of their size. Where are these books available? You're saying that they, do they go in stores? How do people get a hold of these books? Our book, Souls Eternal, is available through comic shops. I don't know if it's on Comixology yet. Mm-hmm. I know we got approved. Mm-hmm. Rob, have you checked that? I checked it as early as this morning, and we weren't up yet. Mm-hmm. So it should um, be very soon. Okay. But you can, you, know, you can order the book through your comic shops, or you can order it through the hashtag website. Mm-hmm. Well. Okay, so let's talk about what the story is about. The subtitle is The Izanami Children, and yeah. I have to confess I'm not as up on my anime as other people might be. <laughs> it's not so much anime, Wayne. It's more about Japanese kind of folklore mm-hmm. and mythology, if anything. Mm-hmm. Rob and I both grew up loving anime and manga, and we're two grown men that still love that and admire the Japanese culture, and that's something... But the two of us definitely really poured into this book. Mm-hmm. Things and shows that we grew up loving are definitely, you can see echoes of that mm-hmm. in the story. Mm-hmm. In the Azanami children, that word Azanami, if you pour into Japanese folklore, not to give anything away of the story, but that word has to do with a Japanese creation myth, mm. is all I'll say, not to give any spoilers. Because mm-hmm. I noticed this is part one also. It continues it on. When you get to the last page, it's a... Uh 
It's the, the well, it doesn't actually say it, but you get the the three words that people hate the most. To be continued is likely to uh, be implied there. Do you guys have a number of books in mind as, to, as far as how many things you want to make of Souls Eternal? The first story arc is three books. It's being split up into three 54-page graphic novels. Mm-hmm. And then after that, we'll just have to see. Mm-hmm. But the entire first story arc will be a complete story from start to finish. We're definitely not going to leave anybody off on a cliffhanger or anything like that. It costs nine ninety nine in the U.S. And go to hashtagcomics.com. And you also have Facebook for these good things as well. So why don't we talk a little bit about the characters? Because you've got a group of mostly teenagers who are involved with stuff. And some of them go to the good side and some of them don't. And... There's video gaming involved, which, of course, is appropriate for any kind of manga or anime type thing. And lots and lots of battling going on. So who came up with the concept? Did you have a basic understanding? Is this a video game? Where did this come from? In terms of the visuals or just like the characterizations? The story. Is this based on a video game or is this... uh, No, it's not. The story, again, is something that really came from Rob and myself. Mm -hmm. I couldn't write the characters the way that I do without having seen the concept art that Rob did. Rob really fleshed out the characters in a real tremendous way. And that's always helpful as a writer mm-hmm. to have them visualized as you're working. Okay, which leads to the question, Rob, how did you come up with the visuals? Well, the thing is that we like to say this book is a love letter to anime. Mm-hmm. We'll go down and, and into manga because we're really into it. We love the, the, the tropes and everything. So, a lot of my inspiration for the characters comes from, you know, well-established tropes, I guess you could say, from within manga and anime. Others, from just about everything that I do in my life, like the video game parts of it are really inspired by the fact that, that both Bona and I are like huge gamers, and we love to play everything. Right now, I'm really into the Blizzard games, and Bona's into like a ton of the Nintendo games, so we're constantly yeah, gaming, constantly, <laughs> constantly cranking out artwork, and it all just feeds the beast when it comes to my imagination. The, the collaboration Rob and I had on this book was definitely kind of like a perfect storm, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. The best way to describe it. Mm-hmm. Now, as far as like the individual characters themselves, these are your creations is the way you're saying it. The, yeah. The, I'm, yeah. So how did you guys come up with the characters? Then Rob, you came up with the sketches, and then Bowden, you filled it out. Are these based on something? You're saying that these are kind of based on, on what anime and manga and video games kind of do I'm just kind of interested as to how the inspiration struck you to do these uh, four mainly four characters involved in, in this along the way yeah with you know in, in anime and Japanese pulp culture a lot of these shows and comic books and ensemble cast mm-hmm. is something that you see a lot mm-hmm. and I mean I grew up especially when I was really young loving stuff like Power Rangers and I really wanted to try to inject some of that into this and a lot of people don't know this but the power rangers started as a japanese show where they actually Mm -hmm. took the fight scenes and re-edited it with american actors and stuff like that but there's a long tradition in japan of shows and pop culture and media of young people that are imbued with power and they use that power to fight evil or things that threaten their world and to me that was something that was really central for the story mm-hmm. because we wanted something that would resonate with anime fans. This is something that if I were to show this to Rob and I when we were in our teens, mm-hmm. I think we would both be into this book. Mm-hmm. Now, one of the characters is named Emma, 
And she's the one we see the first. She's visiting over with a friend at 7.40 in the morning, and she what is she doing? She's playing video games. Has been at it all night, apparently. Mm-hmm. It's, it's always interesting to me because the stereotype is that guys are the video gamers. It's nice to see a girl doing that for a change. Was that the idea, or am I out of touch enough that there's a lot of girls playing video games that I'm just not aware of? How did she come to be a girl? The characters themselves, like Emma, Kelly, Jade, right? They were original concepts from the first iteration of the book before we took over called uh, Cosplay Club. Mm-hmm. But their personalities were completely shifted by Bona and, and, then, and then iterated on by me. But Bona and I, I mean, I'm sure he'll speak to what his inspiration was, but I never thought anything was weird about it whatsoever. I mean, I follow a lot of people on Twitch, mm-hmm. and a lot of the streamers on Twitch are female gamers, and they're just as prolific and just as competitive, and sometimes more cutthroat than the guys. <laughs> so I didn't see anything at all wrong with it. I was like, let's do it. It's good. That in our book has four main characters, three of which are girls mm-hmm. and are very interesting kind of female characters. And mm-hmm. that's something I personally love doing in my writing is taking something that you might think is more normal, like guys are the gamers and flipping the script. Mm-hmm. And the fact that we have three really interesting female characters that aren't over-sexualized, mm-hmm. that are compelling and strong is something with this book that I'm super proud of. Mm-hmm. Great. And what's the difference as far as like powers or abilities go? What does each one do? I, I'm trying to think how we can go into that without uh, giving too much away. Yeah. Well, what does the guy do? Well, what, I mean, he's got like a fox-looking outfit with spikes on it and stuff too. Is that a spike? Is that a fox or what is that? that he's... Those are, it's, a, it's, it's more like a feline cat. But yeah, he's got these daggers that he mounts on his shoulders and uh, he can toss those. Okay. But each one of the four main characters, they have weapons that are especially suited to the way that they like to fight. Mm-hmm. I don't know how much more I can get into it than that, but I'm, I'm going to leave that up to you because I don't want to spoil any of the story, and I will. <laughs> the basic premise, I mean, maybe this is a good time to give you the, the elevator pitch of the book. You have four friends, or excuse me, a group of friends came to Japan with their families, mm-hmm. and they experienced something horrible, mm-hmm. something awful came out of the dark and found them and took from them someone that they really cared about, someone that they loved. And when they awoke from that, they mm-hmm. found that they had been given power. Mm-hmm. And since that day, they've used that power mm-hmm. to fight the evil that took their friend mm-hmm. and try and figure out what exactly is going on in the town of Azanami, which mm-hmm. is where they live. Mm-hmm. Hence the title, the Azanami Children. Mm-hmm. But there's definitely a magical element Mm-hmm. To the characters, if you look at the design of Kelly, you see she's armored and she has this ridiculously large sword. And that's something, again, when you go back to the themes of video games and anime, where she is what you would call her the tank in the video games. Right? Mm-hmm. Prob- yeah, she's definitely the meat shield. The, and David, you had mentioned he has the fox design. His function is more of like a ninja. And then you have Jade's character, who's more of like the magic user. Mm-hmm. And then you have Emma who's more of like uh, the cleric, the healer. You mm. know, in Japan, there's this big theme of uh, magical girl. Is that the expression, Rob? I can never remember. There's a word for it. Like yeah. the sojo. Yeah. yeah, and it's a theme in Japan. Something, the thing that I think you would know when, mm-hmm. uh, is like Sailor Moon mm-hmm. is part of that, where mm-hmm. the idea of like, and so with souls, we really tried to incorporate different elements. Mm-hmm from all sorts of things, mm-hmm. if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, I, of course, I've got to also ask, 
because I work with my friend who has a book about a bunny. I was surprised when they suddenly turn and they're standing amongst them. There's this rabbit. And I was going like, a rabbit? I said, how's that? So where's the rabbit come from? Because it's not there before they transform. What is the rabbit as far as as they are concerned? It's funny. Rob, when we were doing the concept art for the book, I saw the rendition of Jade. She had this bunny, mm-hmm. this creature. And I remember going like, what the hell is this? <laughs> and this is where I'll let Rob take it away from there. <laughs> the bunny idea honestly for me kind of like from a bleach type thing where like they have bleach is an anime right and, or a manga and it, you have the stuff lion with the really big attitude but like the really small toy stuff body mm-hmm. and I always thought that was such a cool interesting dynamic because it's comic relief in the middle of a book is sometimes like very, very bloody story it can get very bloody mm-hmm. so not that our book is going to get as bloody as that so i thought that was interesting so i gave that to one of the characters mm-hmm. in magical mythology you have this thing which is called like a familiar mm-hmm. and when jade is in her normal form mm-hmm. the rabbit is like this little oversized plushy keychain mm. but when she calls up her power it becomes this living breathing little companion combatant Hmm. I guess it's the best way to explain it. Because when she's starting to do magic, the bunny becomes part of it, it seems like. Exactly. It helps her magnify and enhance whatever spells or stuff like that she's trying to cast. Mm, very good. I really have to say, I really like the art, too. I thought, Robbie did a great job on it. Anime has certain tropes that they use over and over again. Like sometimes yeah. when their eyes, the eyes become stars, or they've yeah. got this, there's this little kind of a, I don't know, how do you describe it? A little thing when they get angry, it's like a little red kind of a diamondy thing that shows up and you've got those right. in, incorporated in it and stuff like that. And, and So I really like the way that, that, uh, that you did all those good things together. So, But how long did it take you to put the art together after uh, Bowden got the script done? Well, let's see. I was doing, honestly, I'm doing all the art duties in the book, so that means mm. I'm doing the pencil things and colors. So. Mm. Plus, I'm also doing coloring duties for another book for Hashtag. Mm-hmm. And I have a few other side projects. So honestly, I can only ever really manage to put out about three pages a week for this one book. Okay. So it took a while. It took a while. At 54 pages, the first book, I think it took, well, I don't know. It was a bit. It was a bit. But I crank them out. I mean, I try my best to get them in every week. And so far, so good I have. Mm-hmm. Good. Some of the art that he's done, especially, we're about 75% finished with the second book mm. right now. I've I've known Rob for a long time. I've had the pleasure of working with him for a while, and this is some of the best stuff mm. I've ever seen Rob do. Cool. Very cool. The art is spectacular. It's really it's great to look at. Lots and lots of dynamism to it, lots of action and feeling of motion and stuff to it, which I really liked. So it's a great book. It's something that really grabs your attention. And, of course, once you get started, you can't really put it down. You've got to keep going and find out what in the world's going on. So I do have to ask, though, when the book first opens up, there are two characters we see. Well, it's one character in a red hood going yes. along. And then we see a lady, yes. a lady who's wearing a red outfit. I don't know if these characters are related or not, but we get to see, obviously, this is stuff that's going to have impact on the story as things progress. And I always get a kick yeah. when some of the ladies are, well, let's just say they have two outstanding attributes, 
And, yeah, <laughs> lady in the red. She's got two of the really yeah. outstanding attributes, and so I got. I, I, yeah, I always get a kick out of that when people do that because it's mm-hmm. it's like Power Girl set up, all kinds of wonderful yeah. things going on with that. But honestly, that's such a thing. Of course, see that always belies the idea that young boys playing these games rejoice when they see that stuff. But anyway, so again, you're incorporating a lot of the tropes of gaming and stuff like that. Are we yeah. going to find out who the guy in the red hood and cape is with the glowing eyes at some point? Yes, 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 very much yeah. so, yeah. Okay. And the decision to make her the way she is, specifically her, because if you notice, none of the other girls really are like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, is he talking about see, Kelly? No. Who's he talking about? I'm not, I'm having a hard time. At the end of the book. Well, actually, it's on like, yeah, we, it's on elsewhere. There's a, there's a girl with oh, long red hair. Oh, I know you took, yeah. Oh, that scene. Yeah, okay, she's, that scene. Yeah, she's, well, yeah. She, yeah, I did her consciously that way because Bodan just yeah. described it as a big video game, right? Like a big That's fighting right. video game. That's right. And I kept thinking to myself, every time I played a fighting video game, the girls in these fighting video games are, uh, <laughs> what's a good word? Endowed. Really, uh, really endowed, mm-hmm. really exaggerated. So, yeah, I definitely went all out with her. But most of the time, for the rest of the book, the girls, I try to keep them, you know, normal and not, like, crazy looking because I'm trying to treat them with respect. But for the video game sequence especially, yeah, that was a constant decision on my part because I have yet to play a fighting game where there's women in it and the women aren't completely crazy in Mm -hmm. terms of, like, their exaggerated features. Yeah, exaggerated features. <laughs> I don't understand so, how they can stand up straight like that, but I, uh, what do I know? It's, it's, but anyway, I don't know how they really good lower way. body strength. <laughs> I don't know how they fight that way, honestly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, the thing, of course, I have to ask you is all this stuff is manga related. Any chance of this book going over to Japan and then maybe being translated and being sold over there? I mean, one thing I can say that's kind of cool is we've actually entered the book, the I think it's the ninth annual International Manga Contest. Oh, yes. The contest, I think it's being run by the Japanese government. It's part of like a cultural They're, outreach right, thing. Bureau and, of uh, Foreign Affairs. Yeah. Yes. And we've submitted the book. And I got to be honest with you, every day I'm checking that stupid website to mm-hmm. see. And they haven't updated it yet. I know they extended the deadline mm-hmm. by about a couple weeks. So, yeah. Definitely, people will be seeing it over there, which right. is really cool. And I know, but I do know that our publisher is really into getting the book in as many hands as possible. I think it's being translated into Spanish. Mm-hmm. Right? The first book has been, yeah, the first book has been translated. Cool. So, in terms of whether or not it gets into more languages, I think that all just depends on the sales and the amount of exposure we can get for the book in its mm-hmm. initial stages that we're in right now. Mm-hmm. Very good. Now, of course, you said you're about three quarters of the way through on issue number two. Do you have a right. date in which you want to have issue two out by? Rob, would saying that you should have the second book out before the end of the year is that? Uh, no, yeah, it's going to be out. I'm, yeah, I'm thinking. I think. I think Drew wants to be able to start putting it out by the September-ish area, September or the month after September, I guess you guys mm-hmm. that is. So it's going to be out definitely for the years out. Okay. And then the next book is going to be out around the same time as the first book was out this year, which was, uh, what month of April? So yeah. you're looking at the, that kind of turnaround time. Very cool. Very cool. Well, why don't we find out what else you guys are up to? Because Rob, I know you mentioned Tail Wands, which I got yep. the first three of, which I really liked. And I'm going to be talking to folks about that down the road. Well, maybe you should give a little description of Tailwands before we leave that subject. Do you want to talk about what that's about? Yeah, I love working on Tailwands. It's funny, when I was first approached with Tailwands, I didn't think much of it, but then, you know, you start reading the script because I'm working on the book. 
Mm-hmm. And it's an amazing book. And uh, Dustin, my friend Dustin, uh, I'll get you his full name. Dustin Hollister oh. is the writer mm-hmm. for Tell Once. Mm-hmm. And the artist is... Morgan Ray Myers, looks like. Yes, Morgan Ray Myers. She's an amazing artist. Drew picked her up right out of SCAD. And basically, it's the easy way to describe it is it's, it's Harry Potter meets uh, a little bit of Star Wars meets a little bit of Secret of Nim. But basically, it's about a young female mouse and her family and how they traverse this apocalyptic uh, sequence of events that's happening in their world. And there's magic users, all the little animals involved in the story, they all use it. They all have like an affinity towards a specific school of magic. Mm-hmm. And each school of magic has their own runic language. Mm-hmm. But this little girl, Kaya, she's beginning to become like, I guess it's kind of like the Avatar. I mean, she's beginning to be able to use all of these things. And there's a prophecy concerning her on both sides of the fence. Mm-hmm. And it's such a great book because there's moments in it where you feel like uh, you've read the three, the first three books. So there's mm-hmm. moments in it where you feel for her, for what mm-hmm. she's going through with her brother and all these things that are happening. And then there's moments where you're cheering on the characters. It's really a great book. I'm kind of proud of it. I really mm-hmm. am. Mm-hmm. No, there's three of them out that I've gotten. Are there mm-hmm. more? In, there's more in the process? Oh, yes. We just wrapped up the, we just wrapped up, I think there's, Six books total right now. Mm. I just wrapped up book five. Mm-hmm. And book six is being worked on as we speak. The first six pages of book six are being covered right now by me. So we're doing a lot. Mm-hmm. Tailwinds is, uh, I think it's our flagship book. So mm. it's a great book. Because I noticed there was an ad at the end, at the back of your book, and Tailwinds is on the top of yeah. the hashtag comics stuff. And of course, oh, yeah. the same places you, as you get uh, the Souls Eternal, you go to hashtagcomics.com and apparently yeah. the, the, the paper copies are also available in Tampa, I know. That's where we yeah. got these. So there's all kind of good stuff. And anyone who goes to hashtag comics and can find how to buy the book, just tweet out to the company. Our company's on Twitter. It's on Facebook. It's on just let people at hashtag know, hey, how do I get my hands on Soul Eternal or how do I get my hands on Tail One? So they're, they're very helpful. They'll get back to you and help you out. Any other books that you're working on, Rob? I'm doing some stuff for Bodan's imprint. Resistance. Right. Blackbird, Rob is working on the beautiful cover for issue three. Mm. We've got seen. Mm-hmm. It looks amazing. And he's doing some interior arts for issue three. Mm-hmm. and some other things that I don't think we're ready to talk about. Just not yet. Not yet. Not okay. yet. But it, they're fun things. Really fun things. Yeah, Good. absolutely. Good. Well, it's always good when you can't say something because that means something's happening. Yeah. It's always good. Oh, yeah. That's always a good thing. Now, of course, Bowden, uh, obviously you've got this project or what projects that, yeah. that Rob's working mm-hmm. on. What other things have you guys got going from Resistance? Um, well, Blackbird, we're wrapping up the third issue right now. Beyond that, like I said, Rob and I, have some things that we've been cooking, discussing, mm-hmm. and hopefully maybe before the end of the summer, we can, or definitely before the end of the year, we can maybe talk publicly mm-hmm. about some stuff. Mm-hmm. That will be real exciting. But other than that, you know me, Wayne. I'm always working on something. Mm-hmm. Now, what about, uh, will you guys be at cons like Tampa Bay? Comic-Con is not far away. Will you guys be there? I will be at Tampa Bay Comic-Con. Okay. I don't know Rob. Are you? I am not going to be at Tampa Bay Comic Con, but I will be at PalmCon. That's the next okay. convention I'll be at. Okay. So also, yeah. we'll have copies of Souls Eternal available at both Tampa Bay Comic Con and at PalmCon. Good. Yes. Good, very good. Well, good. You guys are doing good stuff. This is a really good book, and I highly encourage, especially if you like manga, 
and things like that. It's got a lot of the things in there that you'll be very comfortable with and you'll really like. I like the painted cover, too, of one of the characters, the lady in the purple armor. Mm-hmm. It's very Thank nicely you. done. So it's a, it's a real Thank great you. book, and you guys always do good stuff, so I highly encourage it. Go to Hashtag Comics, and what's the Resistance Entertainment website, Bowden? It's uh, resistanceentertainment.com. You can also follow Resistance Entertainment at resist underscore ENT. Wait, what is that on Twitter? I totally just forgot what our Twitter handle is. <laughs> on, uh, uh, Rob, you go with yours real quick. <laughs> <laughs> Bodans. Bodans is uh, resistance underscore, underscore ENT. ENT. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you on Twitter mm-hmm. and on Instagram, just so I'm, I know I'm not losing my mind. It's resistance underscore entertainment. Okay. And people can follow me on res- at Twitter and on Instagram at bnesucheni. P-N-E-S-W-I-A-C-H-E-N-Y. Okay. All right, well, keep it up. You guys are doing good stuff, so we'll hopefully we'll get to talk with you some more when some more of these good things start coming out. Absolutely, Wayne. Thank, Thank you, you again yep, for having us on. People need dramatic examples to shake them out of apathy, and I can't do that as Bruce Wayne. As a man, I'm flesh and blood. I can be ignored. I can be destroyed, but as a symbol... Get the latest from the comics universe. News, interviews, previews, and reviews. Listen to the weekly Wayne's Comics Podcast so you can keep reading your comics. Welcome back to the podcast, Bob Sally, creator of Salvagers, a really great, as you like to call it, blue-collar sci-fi series, Bob. And you've got more for us is what's going on. How are you doing today, Bob? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, we just finished the beginning of Volume 2, The Wreck Raiders, and it's uh, Part 1, just went out to the Kickstarter reward holders, and hopefully this week I'm waiting for the print copies to show up on my doorstep so I can uh, start shipping them out to people. Wow, wow. How about that? Something, you took a little break after the first four volumes in between, like, say, Volume 1 and Volume 2. Is this the same artist that you were using before, or is this a new guy? This is a new guy. George Acevedo, he got a promotion, and uh, he just wasn't able to do the work anymore, so I was sad to see him go. Mm-hmm. We had such a great writer-artist rapport with each other. 
but this happens in the independent comic world. So as George was finishing issue four of volume one, I went out and started looking for a new artist who could match George's art in a way where it wouldn't be so visually different for the reader. Eventually, I would like to put everything together into one big book. So when you turn that last page from volume one and you turn into that first page of volume two, I didn't want something so drastic where you're like, whoa, this is different. So I really did want it to go up a step, but also keep with, I guess, the style that we've been so successful with. And what's the artist's name? Chris Jevona. Okay. And he's from Utah. Mm. I actually met him through um, Tyler Kirkham, who uh, is a DC artist. Mm. Cool. Because as I read the book, you made it available to me, a digital version, so I got to read it. It's very consistent with what George was doing. Honestly, if I hadn't known that was ahead of time that it was going to be somebody else, I'd have thought it was George doing all the art. It was very, very consistent with the first four issues. Great, yeah. And, and again, I went through and I've met a lot of different artists, and it's no dig on the artist. A lot of artists, like when you look at Mike Mignola, he's a great artist and he does uh, Hellboy so well, but you couldn't imagine turning a, like a Jim Lee volume of Superman and then turning a page and then looking at Mike's work mm-hmm. where it's beautiful, but it's just so it stops you in your tracks. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that has been um, one of the things that I really try to emphasis on my work whether it's the writing and putting together the producing the artwork is to not have people break that fantasy that they're in when they're reading the comic and i felt like chris was the best option to move on and take over george's torch mm-hmm. now for people who haven't picked up salvagers before why don't you give you take blue collar sci-fi why don't you give us like an overview of what the series is about? Well, Salvagers, it's the side story. There's probably something bigger going on. If you look at it in terms of Star Wars, where you have Luke Skywalker and the Rebels fighting the Galactic Empire, this is a small little window of what else is going on way further down in the uh, food chain of the galaxy. These guys are the ones that are cleaning up the mess. And um, again, it's not, it doesn't take place in the Star Wars universe. Mm-hmm. That's just something I like to try to bring it in. But there's probably battles going on. There's, uh, you know, probably politics happening and everything. But we're just following a cleanup crew, a a crew that works for Harrier Salvage and Rescue. And we tag along with them on a job that they're doing. And this job catapults them into something bigger. And again, it is. I I like to look at it as blue collar because, again, like I said, Star Wars has its rebels. Uh, Star Trek has its explorers. These guys are just co-workers. And they didn't pick to work with one another they needed a job, and they all got a job, and they now they've kind of been forced to work with each other. They don't necessarily have to get along, but at the end of the day, they need to work together to stay alive and not kill each other. Mm-hmm. Now, why don't you tell us who the crew members are? So we have the captain is Captain William Roenick, and uh, he is an ex-military guy. As we keep going further and further down the story, we learn more and more about his past and why he was an uh, ex-naval commander to now he's a captain of a garbage ship. (laughs) The pilot, Tegan Ray, uh, she's on parole. This is her work release, is to pilot a garbage ship. She was a gun smuggler, so I'm not sure if this was the best place for uh, her parolee to put her in, (laughs) but you never know. As we go further down the story, maybe there was a reason that he put her in that job. And then we have what I like to call the odd couple of science fiction, <laughs> Tyr and Brigby. Mm-hmm. Brigby, is a, he's a small little Graxon. 
something of a hybrid of a monkey and a lizard. Mm-hmm. Tyr would be the big gorilla guy. Tyr is a Typernian who came from a planet that rained glass. So over thousands and thousands of years, they adapted thick skin and his skin is nearly impenetrable. Mm-hmm. Brigby, he's an alien and he also has a... Uh, a special little uh, trait that um, you find out in volume one. Mm-hmm. Uh, he can reproduce his limbs. He can regenerate his limbs. Mm-hmm. And if he gets an arm cut off, it will grow back. But the drawback is that he uh, he gets really sick when that happens. One of the reasons why I did want to make these guys aliens instead of all human was for that reason. I didn't want to make superheroes, mm-hmm. but I wanted to make extraordinary characters. Mm-hmm. If they were all human, it kind of falls flat on the uh, the possibilities of what you could do with these characters. Mm-hmm. So I did want to add alien characters where I could say things like, all right, well, this guy, Graxons, can regenerate. But there are drawbacks to that. Typernians have impenetrable skin, but there's also drawbacks that we find out as the story goes on for Typernians. They're a very feared race, um, which would make sense if they're so powerful like that. But they're spread out through the galaxy because of the past things they've done. Yeah, that's our four characters. You got the grump, you got the comic relief, you got the uh, sexy, uh, strong female character, mm-hmm. and then you got your main captain, uh, strong jawed captain. But mm-hmm. uh, all of them, basically, all of them. They're not so stereotypical because they all have skeletons in their closet. They all have their weaknesses. They're not these characters that just can go into any situation and blow their way out of it. Like They are vulnerable emotionally. So as the story goes on, I'm looking forward to really shining a light on their vulnerabilities. Well, what I get a kick out of is based on what happens in the first four issues, we get another character added to there, at least to the ship is on there. And it's pretty clear in the description to the, 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 the beginning of the fifth issue who that is. Do you want to talk a little bit about that character? G9. Yeah. G9, he's the vessel droid that they picked up in Volume 1, and he's a four-armed robot. He's almost like the uh, R2-D2 of the story. Like He can pretty much go into a ship, and he can learn all about it and everything. And they brought him over from the salvage. They brought him onto the ship. And again, I don't want to spoil too much for mm-hmm. what's going to happen in Volume 2, mm-hmm. but bringing him onto the ship could possibly be the last mistake that they made. <laughs> and of course, in the first four issues, they're on a mission, and it's reasonably successful, and so they're heading home in the beginning of Issue 5. Yeah, they're heading home, and they have one stop to make. Just like anybody you know who's out there traveling, you think of a truck driver and he drops off his cargo. What's the first thing he's going to do? He's going to stop into a rest stop. He's going to load up on some fuel and some food to uh, make the long trek home. Everybody knows that's probably, you know, that doesn't take a rocket scientist to think like that that's what would be the move. So that's what they're doing. And I'm really excited about that because I think that in volume one, we're just on this derelict ship, this floating battleship that they're salvaging. And in issue two, we did go into Naruto three when we took a step back. And it was one of the reasons I did that was because I realized I can't do four issues of just these four characters on this ship with no other interaction. Mm-hmm. So I did take a step back to bring in Brigby's past. Mm-hmm. So now we're on a space station. And you can see we're going right in there from in issue one. Mm-hmm. We're going right into the space station. And I, I'm looking forward to seeing Chris. I told him, I'm like, if I write in the script that they're on the space station with aliens all around, like, you just go ahead and have fun. Mm-hmm. Let your imagination run wild with what you want these aliens to look like. And again, like, I like to give artists that freedom 
to be able to express themselves. So I'm very much looking forward to uh, them being on the space station to see the other elements of uh, the galaxy come into play where it's not just the four of them, but also to see the four of them where in, in volume one, it was just the four of them and they were kind of working against each other or arguing with one another. But now they're on a space station where there are other characters that are going to be elemental to the story where they're going to have to bond together now to face other characters, other adversaries. Now, the last time you and I talked, you talked about the Clandarian pirates. Yes. And we get to see them in this issue. What can you tell us about that that we should know about the pirates before we read the issue? Well, the Clandarian pirates, and, you know, and again, the way I like to do my stories is not to give everything out at once. I like to throw it in your face at first and to make you sit back and be like, oh, who are these guys? But, um, you know, the Clandarian pirates, they're from Clandar. Clandar was invaded by the Typernians many, many years ago, and their planet has been kind of laid to waste. They have a lot of animosity toward the Federation because of the things that the Federation did and did not do to step in. But basically, their resources are gone. They're really picking themselves up after a nasty battle, which they kind of won, but you would look at them as they lost. And these pirates now, Klandar is not getting the necessary resources that the Federation should be shipping them to in aid. So this crew, they stole a Typernian battleship. And they're kind of just out there wreaking havoc on the galaxy. And they're pillaging ships and space stations to take resources back to Klendar. So these guys are, they're not good guys. They're not Robin Hood. But they do believe what they're doing is the right thing. They're not opposed to killing to get what they need. Mm -hmm. But in their mind, they've been so wronged that what's out there is owed to them. And nobody else is going to help them. So they're going to go out there and they're going to help themselves. Mm I like the leader in particular. He's got this sort of a lime screen face with like red lines coming down from his eyes across his cheeks. That's the leader guy, right? Yeah, Shen Timus is the captain of the ship. And he, uh, again, uh, I'm looking forward to, as the series goes on, to, to shed more light on him as well. Because you could tell he's not a Clandarian, but he's leading these Clandarians. So I'm looking forward to bringing out his past and how he's gained the respect of these Clandarians enough that they're saying, like, okay, you know, we'll follow you and, uh, you know, we'll, we'll do what you say. And, uh, and this guy's just, he's kind of a ruthless uh, character. I love the cover. You know, one side on the right side is the Clandarians and on the left side are the Salvagers. And you've got somebody new in between them. Yeah, new, yeah. New character. What can you tell us about her at this point? At this point, she comes off of an escape pod that was from the War Spray. So, I mean, if you've read Volume 1, you can see that the escape pods were part of a plan to destroy the ship that they're on. And as, uh, you know, the salvagers take off, she's still out there, and you don't know that. In the beginning of Volume 2, you see this pod come out, mm -hmm. and she's on this pod. And she, uh, you know, we don't know why she's on this pod. We don't know if she put herself in this pod or if somebody else put her in this pod. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of questions that come out to who she is. We do know that she's Blackbane. Blackbane are one of the most feared security agencies in the galaxy, mm -hmm. and they only bring on the best. Mm -hmm. But right away, we see she's wounded, mm -hmm. and she's on an escape pod. And she kind of takes care of herself with these uh, Clandarian pirates. So we don't really get a sense of who she is yet. Mm -hmm. But in the next issue, in this volume, she's going to open the doors to... Basically, she's going to open the door to volume three. Mm. And uh, we're going to learn more about who Blackbane is mm -hmm. and what they were doing out there mm -hmm. in volume two. 
Mm-hmm. So there's a lot going on in that. And of course, she holds her own against the Clandarians pretty well. She's human, right? She appears to be human. Yep, yep. She's again. I don't want to give too much away, but she's uh, you know, she's she's a rookie. She's a rookie Blackbane agent, and mm-hmm. uh, one of those uh, situations where they were all out there for a job, and uh, you know, when they tell everybody what the job is, maybe the rookie kind of thinks like, well, this I, I didn't sign up for this. Mm-hmm. It's really cool. Now, there's a scene also that I really like when you were talking about a little earlier about giving the artists a chance to do whatever the kind of things they want to do in the aliens. There's a place, looks like it's the port where the salvagers have gone to, and we get to see all sorts of aliens and all sorts of technology all over the place. Yeah. Which I really like. That was a fun page to look at because you've got winged <laughs> aliens, you've got uh, bigger, even you even got a, a heavy set alien oh, yeah. in there. So we get to see that aliens are not necessarily just within a certain range, that there's all kinds of different aliens that the salvagers are going to be introducing or, or, or becoming in contact with. So I like that a lot. Did you give any specifics to your artist, or did, did he just go wild and do what he wanted to do on these pages? You know what? I, I told him to go wild on it. I told him the only thing that I really wanted was I wanted to see the salvage ship. Mm-hmm. I wanted to throw in some characters that uh, could be coming up way further down the line. There is a Darzinian, a four-armed Darzinian uh, girl who's walking with the big guy. Mm-hmm. And the other thing is that I keep wanting to show that Graxons are all over this galaxy. So mm-hmm. you can actually see a little Graxon pulling a hover pallet mm-hmm. around there. So those were little things that I wanted to put in there. And Chris did. He did a great job with that. And any, when I, I remember like when I look at comic books, there would be those pages, those big pages. And you'd always like, you just spend time on it. Uh, you know, you would look at it and you would you'd go over it and you'd be, you know, you'd, you'd look close at it. And now with the power of technology, you know, like, you know, with a comic book, yeah, you can hold it up to your eye as close as you can. But uh, now with technology, you know, if you have it digitally on your phone, you can bring it up and you can take a look real close at everything. Uh, and he, he, Chris did. He did an amazing job on that splash panel. And um, I'm looking forward to giving him more leeway and giving him more splash panels it's one of those things like when you finally see that it almost makes me wish that i would have given him more splash panels in this comic <laughs> uh but uh, we will be working together for a while so he'll get that opportunity well is this going to be a four issue storyline yep yeah we have four issues are scripted out for this and uh the end of this one is going to be it's going to be one of those just to give a little hint uh, the, the end of this is going to make people be like what the hell you know it's going to be like kind of that empire strike back uh, ending where you're not sure if everybody's going to make it mm-hmm. which is good i mean you should never be 100 percent certain everybody's going to go all the way through because if that's the case then there's no point in reading on because you know what's going to happen but if you don't know that's what makes things fun yeah in my opinion so that's good stuff now we had also talked before about the fact that brigby had gotten to be a really popular character is he still that popular character? Do you consider him the most popular of Salvagers so far? Yeah, I mean, I, I think so. If we ran a poll, I think that most people would uh, say that they like Brigby the most. And and I think that's just because in Volume 1, we were able to dive into his background the most. Anytime you're writing anything, you know, if you have four characters, it's tough to be able to dive into all of them, and especially in comic books. Mm-hmm. If you're writing in prose, it's much easier. But in comic books, you only have so many pages and you only have so many panels. And if you have four characters, each one can't spend as much screen time, you know, or uh, panel time, if it were. 
But yeah, so we went with Brigby, and uh, I think that you know it was a good decision because Brigby, he's a smartass. You know, mm-hmm. he's the guy that everybody has one of those guys. You know, where you uh, you love him but you hate him. Uh, mm-hmm. You you'll, you know you take him or leave him. Mm-hmm. But Brigby doesn't apologize for anything. You know, and I think that that's one of the great things about him is he's a troublemaker and he's. He's got a lot of shortcomings, no pun intended, mm-hmm. but he doesn't apologize for it. You know, mm-hmm. he is who he is and he's all right with it. So you better be all right with it too, or you're going to have to just move on. Got to ask, and this is just being silly, I guess, but he's smoking. And is this one of the e-cigs or is this, is this a real cheroot? What, what kind of a cigarette? Or, or he cigar? smokes the real deal. I mean, oh, yeah, uh, you know, okay. like, yeah, it's, it's, I look at Brigby, he is, he's one of those guys, um, you know, that's, he likes that, you know, he's got that one thing and it's, you know, he probably hand rolls them himself. <laughs> he needs that instant gratification. And that's one of the reasons why I didn't want him just to like, it wasn't just like to have him smoke, just to have him smoke. Mm-hmm. Um, I see Brigby as somebody who he needs instant gratification. And I think the best way to represent that is to show somebody smoking cigarettes. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, and, and you'll see that he'll smoke different things as the story goes on. Um, you know, at one point he's trying to buy a pack of cigarettes. At one point he's smoking something that looks hand rolled. Like we've done pinups where he's, you know, he's got women around him and he's, you know, he, you know, he's got uh, a, a girl giving him a lap dance. Like that's Brigby. He's just a physical being. Mm-hmm. I think if you spent time with him, you would realize like he, he doesn't have a plan. He doesn't have a 401k, you know, he's just like, I got what I have now and I'm going to spend it on what I need now. And there's no plans for the future. And again, that's, I think, another thing that you love about him. And in writing, the things that make that are fun for a writer are to know that about your character and to try to portray that without saying it. Mm-hmm. Without just coming right out and saying like that this is what he is, you want that to come out like right away at the end of the beginning of volume two. We see that he already knows that there's a pub in this space station. Mm-hmm. So we have a hint that he's been here before. Mm-hmm. And when he's there, he's probably drinking and, uh, you know, hanging out with fast women. <laughs> so, um, you know, so that, again, I think that that's it's one of the lures to him is he's that fun guy, you know, even if you can't stand him. Mm-hmm. Now, one of the things I noticed you do in the book is you shake up some of the conversation between the, the people. Like, for example, Bill hangs around with the pilot a lot. And the other two, you call them the odd couple of sci-fi, and they get shook up a little bit. You see the captain talking to the bigger guy, and then you have Brigby talking to the pilot and stuff, which is a nice way to do it because we learn more about the characters, the way they talk with the different people. Absolutely. How intentional is that? Do you do that? Oh, it's very, yeah, it's very intentional. I mean, one part of the uh, the whole intention of putting tear and Brigby together in volume one was to just throw that in your face to show two opposite people mm-hmm. that are together that might not like each other but can't leave each other mm-hmm. they have to stick together or they're going to die or you know or, or Ronick is going to die mm-hmm. so it was very intentional to put them together mm-hmm. and in volume two you're going to see a lot of Ronick and Brigby are going to be together mm-hmm. and tear and Tegan are going to be together mm-hmm. and uh, you know and that's very intentional too it would be easy to put uh, you know Ronick and Tear together because they are one of the things that we're going to learn is that they're very good friends mm-hmm. and hopefully you know in my if I do my writing right you'll see that over time mm-hmm. but when Ronick's having a vulnerable moment the last thing I want to do is put him with a good friend mm-hmm. uh, I want to put him with somebody who is very physical and who's very here and now and who doesn't think about the future or the past or anything who only thinks about it in the moment because that's not helpful for Ronick mm-hmm. uh, you know so I want to see the the uncomfortableness. I want to see the how they, or I want you to see how they 
interact with one another and how that happens and how that all unfolds. Mm-hmm. Another thing, too, you mentioned about this being blue-collar sci-fi. I noticed, too, that your art – New Artist does a great job of this, too uh, – shows it's not Star Trek. It's not antiseptic. Even when you see the fueling station coming up, it's a little mealy-looking. And when you go through columns on hallways and stuff like that, they don't necessarily feel like great big glistening places. They're often kind of a little dark, a little bluish. And I like that because it's not what I'm used to when I'm reading. Because comics, everything, people want it to be real shiny and beautiful and, oh, it's so gorgeous kind of looking. But there's this one place where there's a big machine that's kind of greenish, guys with the fins on their heads, and they're they're working with these uh, 3D panels. And when I looked over at the machine on the right, I thought, gosh, that really does look sort of like rebuilt the way that is. It looks blue collar. So I really like the way that you guys have put that together. Yeah, and um, I mean, I'm glad that you said that because it, it makes me feel like we accomplished exactly what we wanted. Um, what I told Chris was these Clandarians are pieced together. If you think about them, they're out there pillaging different ships and everything. And I said, I'm like, I don't want any of them to look the same. I don't want them to all have the same clothes or armor or anything. Like, they've gone out and they've pillaged a ship. Mm-hmm. They go down and they whoever they've killed, they look at what they're wearing mm-hmm. and they kind of see like, okay, does his boots fit me? Mm-hmm. Uh, does his uh, does his shirt fit me? Does mm-hmm. his jacket fit me? And they take what they can, so they should all look different. And the same goes with the ship. If this is an old ter- Typernian technology, this is an old Typernian ship, and you'll learn that as the story goes on. But you know, I wanted the insides to look piecemealed, uh, where if something breaks, it's not like they can go to the manufacturer and put it back together. They need to go and find something else that's compatible that might be from a different alien world that can fit it or that they might need to shape to make it fit. Mm-hmm. Another thing I really like too, and the artist does a good job, I thought George did this too real well too, but I particularly noticed it when uh, the new girl is having a fight with some of the Kandarians. There's a time when she has this, it's like a billy club of something, and she hits one of the Kandarians in the head and you hear a big crack and the expression on his face when he's got blood coming out of it, violence in comics should hurt. In my opinion, yeah. and that, that <laughs> I just went ow when I looked at that. <laughs> and you know, she put she hit. Then the next thing is she's hitting somebody else in the stomach with the same thing. The great thing about that, I too often the, the punching and kicking doesn't really yield any results. People get thrown back and then they come right back again and stuff like that. But the great thing is when she leaves the room, they're <laughs> they're on the ground. They're all laying on the ground. Yeah, and then again, I mean, like I wanted, I, like right away, like I mean, I like the strong female characters and. Uh, I wanted this girl to come right out and just beat the shit out of these guys, mm-hmm. and it's believable. It's if mm-hmm. once you get to know these these characters, like you see, like that she is a real badass. Mm-hmm. And then when we get into volume three, mm-hmm. the great thing when we get into volume three is you're going to see that she's not that tough at all compared to who's coming. Mm-hmm. But she's going to then eventually have to work with kind of like the uh, you know the enemy of my enemy is my friend. Mm-hmm. So as a writer, I really love developing characters, putting them together, having them be, you know, against each other. But then, I mean, it's real life, you know, like where you meet somebody in life that you don't like a couple weeks down the road. If you're constantly with these people, a couple weeks down the road, you might be friends now, like, you know, and you might come together because of something else. And uh, and that's what's going to happen in all of my writing. There's always going to be, hopefully, that genuine character relationship with each other where they don't always get along but then they may need to come together to resolve an issue 
I gotta say, in the last panel, is that you end up with a phrase that is always a bad thing to say at the last thing. They're, they're talking about doing something, and then Brigby responds with "piece of cake, boss," which is yeah. always something you you should never ever say that in the last panel of a comic book because that's a bad sign. <laughs> so I got a huge kick out of it. That's one thing too. I think that your dialogue is really strong too. It's great fun to, you know, each one speaks differently from each other, and there's even times when they're sort of similar. The captain and Brigby are sort of standing looking at this one robot at one point, and they both have their arms crossed. Yeah. And in that way, he's, uh, it looks like Brigby's trying to, you know, well, I'm, I'm with you. Him. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm with you kind of a setup. And then, of course, he says that, which right away, as soon as I says, oh, no, that's always a bad thing to say. So it's a great book. It really starts off the second series of issues really well. And, I, gosh, I can't wait to get down to the next issue. So, which I always have to ask, you've got the first issue done. How far are you guys doing on part two of The Replicators? Well, we're hoping that we're going to be done issue two by the uh, end of the year. By December, the Kickstarter. We're planning on launching the Kickstarter at the end of this month, okay. and it was a long process to do the this issue. And I think um, you know, anytime you're working with new artists, a new team. Not only do I have a new artist, I have a new colorist. Mm. Luckily, um, HDE, the letterer, stuck with me. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you learn as you go on, and uh, there was things that I was learning as we were doing it. And uh, like at one point, we did a new cover. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love the cover. I love the cr- cover that Chris did. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, I felt like we needed something, especially since we were so late on the project. I wanted to really hammer something home mm-hmm. and give something to the people that they could just look at and be like, you know, visual porn in, on, on that cover of that book. Mm-hmm. So we got Adelso Corona, who works with DC Comics. Mm-hmm. And the colorist, uh, Juan Fernandez, who works with Marvel, mm. they work together a lot. So we got them to do that cover, and it, it's gorgeous. But, you know, I think it's just um, working with a new artist and getting an idea how we both work together. So I can see that in the future, it's not going to take five months to uh, do a comic. So I think we're really going to be able to get this thing out by December. Mm-hmm. What I'm hoping for and what I'd really like to do, because as much as Kickstarters do help us get these projects out, mm-hmm. I'd rather not do them. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I would rather be able to give the fans more mm-hmm. in one Kickstarter. So if we reach a certain bonus reward, mm-hmm. I'm going to give everybody part three for free digitally. Mm-hmm. So I'm really hoping that that's, you know, like that's something that we can reach because uh, uh, I would love nothing more than to just do this one Kickstarter and get part two and three out mm-hmm. and then focus on the uh, the ending and focus on, um, you know, issue four in the beginning of uh, 2017 and get that done mm-hmm. and then just, you know, again, move right on to volume three. Great. So you, the Kickstarter is going to start at the end of this month. You'll probably, you'll send out word. It's one of the things you do real well is do social media things and keep people informed. I think that's really great because not many people do that as well as you do, I think. Yeah, well, you know, it's a necessity. You, I think uh, when it comes to what we do, it's free advertising. So if the only way you could be more successful is to learn as much as you can on how to use it. Mm-hmm. I know people that when they first come in, they're like, yeah, I don't like Facebook. And I always say like, well, you better start mm-hmm. because it's, uh, you know, it's your most invaluable tool. Mm-hmm. The amount of people that you can re- reach on Facebook is limitless. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you really, if you know how to use it, mm-hmm. you can reach so many different people. I mean, this comic book now is translated in French and German, <laughs> and that came from Facebook. That all came from Facebook, from meeting people on Facebook and sharing with them and them, you know, publishers seeing that and saying, we'd love to translate it for you. (laughs) And now, you know, now we're selling it in French speaking countries and German. Whenever I see Comixology, Mm -hmm. I see that, you know, there's a lot of Australia people buying it on Mm -hmm. Comixology. (laughs) 
And when I do the Kickstarters, there's people from all over the world, mm-hmm. and that is from social media. Mm-hmm. You can run a Kickstarter, and that's fine. But if you run a Kickstarter and you don't have a presence on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, if you don't have a presence on any of them, nobody's going to really – they're only going to see it mm-hmm. from Kickstarter, and you're going to really limit yourself on uh, the people that are going to view it. So you really do need to embrace social media mm-hmm. in this industry mm-hmm. because there's such a wealth of, there's groups out there. There's so many people that that's where they go mm-hmm. to talk and to discuss comic books. Mm-hmm. So to have an independent comic book, you know, you, you're a fool if you don't go out there and be a part of it. Well, so many people don't have other people to talk with about these things. You might be the only one in your whole circle of friends that likes science fiction. And so, you know, where do you go to talk about this stuff? What you do is you go out online and you find online friends. Absolutely. Those things. So this this is a real powerful thing. And then, of course, one of the great things is to getting together and meet people that you've known online. Like we met at C2E2, I think yep. it was. And so it's great to meet people that you've talked to online and – you develop fandoms that way. You develop a whole group of fans that follow you as you go along. So it's just a great thing. I think you're absolutely right on all that. Absolutely. So as far as Salvagers goes now, of course, you've, the first four issues, we've talked about that. If you haven't gotten the first four issues, how do you get those now? Well, if you want it in print, you can go to salvagers.bigcartel.com. We have volume one for sale there as, as well as some other merchandise. If you are a digital person, I love Comixology. The way they uh, they format the comic is amazing. So you can go to Comixology and either search Thinkalike Productions or search Salvagers, mm-hmm. and you'll see all of our issues there. Right now, if you go to Facebook and you look up Salvagers, mm-hmm. right at the top of our page, I have a link to our issues page, mm-hmm. and it's uh, I believe it's issuu.com com forward slash salvagers and we have uh, issues one and two for free right there on, on a website you don't have to download anything you just click on that link and uh, you can read them one issues one and two right there and then you only have to go to comiXology to uh, order issues three and four cool. and uh, hopefully we'll uh, have this next issue up as soon as possible now this next issue now of course you're, you're sending them out to the people who helped at the kickstarter how are people who are not in the kickstarter going to be able to get uh, part one of the rec raiders well uh they can back the next kickstarter for one because uh, mm-hmm. we will have a reward tier that has this issue along with uh the next issue but i'll put it up on um our big cartel salvagers.bigcartel.com mm-hmm. we'll put it up there as well so you can have that uh, signed and shipped to you But yeah, um, most likely the best place would be uh, to jump on our Kickstarter and uh, we always look at it as a Mm -hmm. pre-order. You know, we don't like to keep our prices that high and uh, you'll get your name on uh, the physical copy of Rec Raider Part 2 as uh, an executive backer Mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, you're helping uh, make it a young boy's dream come true. (laughs) (laughs) Now, of course, Salvagers keeps you busy. Are there other things you're working on that we should be aware of? Yeah, right now I, uh, I'm writing um, Shelter Division, and I'm writing that for um, SourcePoint Press. Okay. Salvagers, uh, I write for Think Alike Productions. Mm-hmm. Shelter Division is going to be for SourcePoint Press. Travis McIntyre brought it on. I'm working with uh, Francisco Tomaselli from Italy. He does some beautiful work. And always HDE is my letterer. He's the, my saving grace when it comes to lettering and formatting my comic book. Mm-hmm. So I, I always have him. He's a delight to work with. But uh, yeah, so uh, Shelter Division is um, when the investigated become the investigators. It's mm-hmm. kind of like a 90-degree angle of uh, X-Files where it's the uh, abnormal ones that are doing the investigating. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, I'm looking forward to it. I'm having a lot of fun with it. 
and it's fun to work with Travis McIntyre, who, you know, when it comes to editing and putting things together, the guy's a genius. He really knows the little things to add to make something just uh, so much better. Now, when's that going to be coming out? Well, that uh, we are on page eight right now, okay. and I believe once we get to page 11, 11 or 12, it's going to be on free on uh, SourcePoint Press. Dot com that's going to be on their website for free. And uh, we're just going to keep putting pages out mm-hmm. as often as we can for free. The first volume is going to be a three-part series. Mm-hmm. And once we get to the third part, uh, SourcePoint Press will do a Kickstarter to uh, get the printed copies out. Cool, cool. We're well, doing great stuff, Bob, as always. Great, very interesting things and fun to read. So, you know, keep it up. I appreciate it, Wayne. Thank you very much for having me. And, uh, again, if there's anything um, – I could do for you and uh, just hit me up and let me know. Okay, will do. for this episode. Until next time, keep reading your comics. up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.